Acts 20, and we are going to conclude our storyline series this morning. Can you believe that? Quick infomercial, uh, we've refreshed our church invite cards. Uh, they're a little bit more carryable, just a little more compact. Wish I could put every piece of information about our church on these, but you got to choose compact or more information. So we chose compact. Grab some of these in the back table there. And then also uh, made this really for our upcoming outreach uh, at the resource fair. I didn't order enough just because of the price for Booth Zoo. But if you want to help invite someone to Kids for Truth, we have a special card designed for that. That is also in those back uh, card holders on the back table. And so I hope that you'll restock with these and uh, invite folks to our services. Uh, We're thankful for big outreach events we can do. But I also think that our most effective form of reaching our community is you and me working on people we know. So I want to encourage you to do that. All right, so but today is our conclusion to the Storyline series. What would help me, because I know uh, many of you sit quietly and listen and take notes, and I can notice that every week. I would love your feedback on this series. If you hated it, if you loved it, uh, let me know. Um, that'll help give me a gauge on what um, is a blessing to you. Uh, we have a lot more flexibility in the Sunday School Hour on what we can go through. And so that helps me to get a little bit of feedback. And then on the 22nd, we are starting a series on marriage. Um, gospel Principles for Lifetime Joy in Marriage. And uh, I was joking with Rick a little bit. He said, well, maybe I can skip Sunday School for a couple weeks. And I said, well... Uh, you're not, you don't get that easy of an out because, because they are gospel principles that we are applying to marriage. Um, they apply to single folk, teenagers, whatever, uh, widowers, widows. Um, there's application for everybody. I'll spend most of my time applying those principles to marriage, um, but you will see them at work, I hope, in your life. But this morning, we're going to be in Acts 20 as we finish up the storyline series. I taught the message today enjoy the story. I don't know uh, if, if many of you knew this, but, um, or know this, uh, for many years of my life, I was an avid cyclist. I really need to get back into that. Michael's been trying to get me to ride with him. Um, and the story behind me getting into bike riding was I was tricked into it. My brother Dana, I've mentioned him once before. He's the one who tried to convince me to go on a kayaking trip in Alaska. I don't know if you ever remember that story I told. Dana's the guy who has the big plans who never really executes on them, okay? And when I was a freshman in high school, Dana convinced me to do our local bike race. Tucson's a city well-known for cycling. We have a lot of great paths for it. And he tricked me into doing what is called the Tour de Tucson. It's a very well-known bike race, draws a little bit under 10,000 people each year from not just Arizona, but around the nation and around the globe, Um, I know one of the winners the year I did it was from Mexico, a very well-known bike race, and Dana convinced me to do it. I obviously wasn't going to do the 110-mile race, which is really the full tour. Dana got me into it because he convinced me to join the 36-mile bike race. We were both in high school. I was a freshman. Dana was either a junior or senior, and our idea was to do it with our girlfriends at the time. Well, when Tour de Tucson Day came, What was supposed to be four of us riding a 36-mile bike race together was one person riding a 36-mile bike race, and that one person was me. And I didn't realize this, but there's a huge difference between a road bike and a mountain bike, 
You both probably know that. Mountain bikes are meant for covering difficult terrain. Road bikes are meant for speed and smoothness on paved roads. Well, all I had was a mountain bike. And I realized I was in over my head when on this 36-mile bike race, I'm sorry if you feel like you fall in either of these two categories, but I was getting passed easily by overweight older people. And I thought, in my 15-year-old athlete ego, I thought this is unacceptable. Um, So I'm going to fix this next year. I'm going to get myself a proper road bike. I'm going to ask for that for Christmas. And I'm going to do this thing again. It was really fun. But I had no intention of doing the 110-mile race until I watched, I think it was a segment on the evening local news where they previewed the whole course of Tour de Tucson. The 110-mile course. They showed you It was very intentionally designed to take somebody through some of the really unique terrain of Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, Arizona is a city at the base of several mountain ranges. Uh, There are creeks, there are mountains, there are, you know, desert landscape. It showed how during the course of the race, we would pass, maybe Sid, you've heard of it. It's, It's one of the bigger parking lots, so to speak, for old U.S. planes. It's called the Boneyard. We would pass by that, and you would see all these planes from World War II and who knows whenever else as you're riding by. We would go through, there was one place, I thought it was really cool, that you would go through a running creek. Believe it or not, Tucson, Arizona has running creeks. They're about as wide as this aisle, but they do flow with water, and you would have to walk your bike across. It just seemed really fun and cool to go through terrain like that. And so I was watching that segment overviewing the whole race, the whole path. And I thought, that looks so fun. And so it was because of that TV segment, I signed up to do my very first 100-mile, they called a century ride, my very first 100-mile bike race um, as I think a sophomore or junior in high school. I've since done four or five, and uh, they've been unforgettable moments in my life. Now, I'll be honest, if I never signed up for the 110-mile tour to Tucson, I guarantee you I wouldn't remember that TV segment. Because frankly, an overview of the course is quite a forgettable thing. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like, I mean, how many TV segments have you watched and forgotten? I mean, more than you'd probably like to know. But actually, riding the course was unforgettable. Uh, I did it two years ago with my brother. That was uh, truly one of the most meaningful things I've ever done in my life, spending a whole day with my brother on a bike. Riding in that race is a lifetime memory. In the last several weeks, I feel like what we've done in the Bible is I've given you an overview, a 5,000-foot view of the Bible, and I've shown you the course that the Bible covers in many different themes. I've shown you, uh, if you've been here and if you've been tuning in, we've talked about a lot of different themes. But I've tried to give you an overview of the course, not so that you could just appreciate the overview. I I would imagine that in some ways, and this is probably not the right time to say an amen, but that my overview of the course has been forgettable. It's not going to change your life the same way That if you choose to join the journey of going through the scriptures, that, my friend, will change your life forever. I hope that as we've journeyed through these themes that go from Old Testament to New, that you've seen the beauty that might motivate you 
to actually get on the course and enjoy the journey for yourself. And so this morning, I want to be really simple. I'm, I'm going to throw my agenda out there up front. Here's my agenda this morning. I want to convince you to enjoy the story that Christians have enjoyed for 2,000 years. I want to convince you that in your way, your pace, your schedule, whatever that might look like, I want to convince you as a Christian to read the whole story, to ride the whole course. Some of us maybe are like me that first year, Tour to Tucson. We've ridden the 36-mile course. We've journeyed many pages of our New Testament several times. But I would imagine that there's some in here who've never made the full course. You've never covered all of the territory. And so my goal this morning is very clear. I want you to make it your goal to enjoy the entire story of Scripture. What, what has been our goal this series? I hope you remember this line because I've said it every week. My goal has been to teach you the big story of Scripture so that you might understand what? The little stories, right? And if you've listened well, you've, you've seen the big story of sacrifice and temple and priests and covenants and covenant signs and the land that God has promised to his people, the big story of kings and all sorts of other things. And frankly, those themes will somehow rise up in every Bible story you read. I've tried to give you a smorgasbord of themes that will equip you and give you interpretive handles so that in almost every page of the Old Testament, you'll be equipped to see it fulfilled in the new. And so that's why my goal this morning is to convince you to make it your goal to read your entire Bible. I want you to enjoy the story that we've been talking about. Here's why I want you to enjoy the story. Here's the point on your handout. If you read it, you, you need to read the entire story of scripture because God decided you needed all of it. I've said this verse often, but I'm gonna beat that drum again. 2 Timothy 3.16 says what? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathes. And all scripture is what? Profitable. Christian, if you believe that, You'll read all of it. I'm going to trust Paul's assessment on the scriptures more than my own assessment that some books aren't profitable, that it's all good. Now, I, I said this once before, but in our house, we have a rule at dinner time. That same rule I kind of grew up with, and it's, it's helped us as parents manage pickiness. That's my my. One of my sub-goals for my children, other than loving and following Jesus, I don't want my children to be picky. Now, that might be a hopeless goal. Maybe some of you experienced parents are like, eh, you'll learn soon, Pastor. Yeah, I'm trying. But here's our rule in our house. If it's on your plate, you have to eat it. If it's on your plate, you have to eat all of it. What's behind that rule? That our job as mom and dad is to portion correctly, not to over-portion uh, our kids' plates, and that if mom decides that the kids need broccoli or mashed potatoes or mac and cheese or even pancakes, mom thought that through because she's the one who does the cooking in our house because if I did, my kids would be dead. Um, 
if mom decided they needed that meal, they don't get to override mom's decision. Mom decided they need a certain vegetable. They may not like it. Nora doesn't, for whatever reason, like mashed potatoes. What kind of thing is wrong with that child? Who doesn't like mashed potatoes? It's the texture, I think. But here's the thing. Mom knows she doesn't like mashed potatoes, but because of whatever reasons, mom makes mashed potatoes. She serves mashed potatoes to Nora's plate. Nora and Natalie have a job to eat everything on that plate every single meal. Why? Because to not eat what is put on the plate reflects in the eyes of our children that they think they know what they need better than mom and dad. They think that mom was wrong in putting that on their plate. Well, to me, as a parent, uh, no. Mom knows you don't. And I wonder, I wonder if some of our Bible intake represents the diet of a picky child. That that we will have the fries at McDonald's. This is what Nora wants to do. We'll have the fries, but not the burger. Or sorry, that's Nat. We'll eat the mac and cheese, but ignore the fruit. We'll read the letters of Paul, but we'll ignore the law of Moses. We'll read the gospels, but not the Torah. We love the Psalms, but we ignore the prophets. But if our doctrine of the scriptures is correct, then we must believe that the prophets is just as beneficial and inspired as the letters of Paul. We have to believe that. And so there are gonna be things in God's word that are served up to you that may not float your fancy. They may not be your preferred dish. I have favorite books of the Bible, you do too. But I think we need to trust that our all-wise God put out a plate for us of 66 very diverse books because he knew we needed all of it. Even the corners of scripture that we tend to ignore. Song of Solomon, Leviticus, Numbers, Amos, okay? Revelation, for goodness sakes. We need all of it, right? We need to read the entire story of scripture because God decided we needed it. Here's the next thought. This is from Acts 20. We need to read the entire story of scripture because it's all profitable. It's all profitable. We were in Paul's address to the elders at the church of Ephesus in Acts 20 several weeks back. But Paul explains to them his philosophy of ministering the word in verse 27. Look at verse 27. He says, I've not shunned or I've not held back from declaring unto you all the counsel of God. Paul was in Ephesus for three years. I'm not sure entirely what he means there. Did he go through all the books of the Bible? Three years? Maybe. I have a feeling that the church in Paul's day was a little more apt to be around the word a little more often than we are. But maybe it was in his mind, he's covering the entire plan of God, the entire, all all the principles and all the themes of scripture. Whatever the case may be, I think this lays down for us that God's desire for us, if the pastor's desire is to give you the whole counsel of God, your desire should be the same, right? Because if, if God is saying, hey, a pastor's job is to give you all the counsel of God, that means God believes that all of it is profitable, right? And actually, Paul says that, because look back at verse number 20 in Acts 20. 
This, this actually is a very parallel idea based on the, how Paul words it in the original language. But he says, I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. Very similar to I've shunned not to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So why did Paul preach the whole counsel of God? Why should you read the whole counsel of God? Because it's all profitable. And boy, is it. Here's the truth. I found myself earlier on in my Christian life tethering myself to the Gospels, which are great. You could read those for a lifetime and be benefited. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's an infinite amount of juice to squeeze out of that orange. But here's the truth. You can't say that you've received the whole counsel of God if you just read the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the Gospel of Matthew covers a lot, but there's stuff in Matthew. I was just reading ahead for our series in Matthew that we're going to return to soon. The Olivet Discourse, which talks about the second coming of Christ. You need revelation to understand that a little bit. You need Daniel to understand some of that, right? Jesus is teaching about things because the Holy Spirit hadn't come, and you need Paul's doctrine of the Holy Spirit to really understand the fullness of what Jesus was trying to communicate and some of his sayings to his disciples. You need everything. You need Genesis as much as you need Isaiah because all of these are profitable. Here's the other reason you need to read the entire story of Scripture. And I think this is so underrated. You need it because it's so fun to enjoy the diversity of Scripture. Oh, man, you're missing out. You're missing out. There's just something fun about the diversity of Scripture. Genesis, my wife and I have told you several times, we're slowly working our way through the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And boy, there's so much diversity, even those first five books who are written by the same guy to the same audience. You've got Genesis, which is all story, all narrative pretty much, no law. Then you go to Exodus and you've got half of Exodus is this crazy story of the Exodus and coming out of Egypt and so many callbacks to Genesis. And then the end of Exodus is this really detailed law stuff about the tabernacle mostly and Mount Sinai and different things. And then you get into Leviticus, which you would think is the most boring thing. But let me tell you, it is so rich about the character of God and the sacrificial system that's pointing forward to Jesus. And then you get to Numbers, which is the most underestimated book of the Old Testament because Numbers has more genres, more types of writings than any other book in the Old Testament. It has, it has census data, law, narrative, the famous story of the spies is in there. I mean, it's got it all. And then you got Deuteronomy, which is just a big giant sermon from Moses. Boy, if you read the story of scripture, if you take me up on this challenge to do this, which I think you should, you're gonna enjoy some different stuff. In fact, that was what drew me to do the tour to Tucson is that I was, I was doing that 36 mile course, which was just the Northern part of Tucson. But boy, you know, I really, I still remember driving by and, or not driving, riding by, you know, and looking at the boneyard, all those planes. And I still remember walking my bike, the creek happened to be dried up, so it's just a sandy bar, but I still remember walking my bike through there and the, and the really unique rest stop they had there to grab some snacks. I don't know about you, I would doubt any of you when you drive through Garden City this morning and you're heading down Spruce Street to come to church or whatever, that you're looking around and be like, wow, look at the trees here. They're so beautiful, right? Because you've driven that path so many times, you, you ignore the scenery, you're just headed to point B. But what do we do when we find ourselves in a new town? 
like I will this week on vacation, a town that I haven't visited in a while. I mean, when I lived in Tucson, I, I, you know how many days of a year it dawned on me we're surrounded by majestic mountain ranges in Tucson? Like zero. <laughs> but when I get there, I'm like, whoa, mountains. What are these things? I mean, our mountains in Tucson are so big, they have snow on them in the winter on the very top. I mean, you wouldn't think that in Tucson. What do you do when you're in new territory? It just, because of the diversity, it just heightens your sense of awareness and you enjoy it more, right? Hey, can you two back there stop? Thank you. So that's why we need to enjoy the diversity of Scripture, okay? Here's the the thing I want to give you to finish up this morning. Because this is an overwhelming challenge. This is an overwhelming challenge to enjoy the entire story of the Bible. There's a reason most Christians don't do this because it could be really, it could be tough, right? I mean, when you ride the whole tour to Tucson, there are some serious hill climbs. Uh, In fact, there's one that's so steep, they kept this on the course the second time I did it several years later. I had to walk my bike up the second half of it. It was so steep. My big old legs could not power through that thing. So you need some help. You need some tools. And I want to give you some advice here. Here's the first one. I want to encourage you, if you're going to read the story of Scripture, this isn't necessary, but it's helpful. Pick a partner and a guide. Pick a partner and a guide. What do I mean by that? If you can, when you're reading your Bible, pick a partner. What's a partner? It's someone that you can read the Bible with. Okay? Ideally, the best partners are those who maybe live in the same household as you, a spouse, a sibling, or a parent. And here's why having a partner is so good. Because when you have a partner for Bible reading, it gives you uh, accountability without feeling micromanaged. Right? Because if you came to me and said, Pastor, can, can you keep me accountable for my Bible reading? Well, I would obviously want to do that and help you. I would text you every once in a while, how's your Bible reading going, things like that. But it would make you feel like that I'm checking in on you and managing you. But if you have a partner you're going with, and they're sitting in your living room opening their Bible every day, and you see it, and you're not doing it, what's that going to trigger in your mind? I probably should do that too, right? And not only that, it gives you someone to talk through what you're reading about. When you find yourself stuck, you can help each other get unstuck. When you're, when you're reading together, you can challenge each other to stay in the fight and keep reading the Bible. You can watch your spouse, your sibling, your parent, your child grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? And so these are wonderful things that are helpful to us if we have a partner. I'll tell you what, when I rode the Tour de Tucson two years ago, um, my wife can tell you the full story of how dead I was after because I was totally underprepared, but I had a partner, my brother, who's a sick athlete. He was obsessed with cycling. He rode all the time, and Dana chose to intentionally slow down the whole day to stay with me, which was a huge blessing, but it kept me going when I wanted to pull off, and Dana wasn't going to the rest stop to get a new snack. I was like, oh, fine, I'll keep going, you know? And eventually, sometimes I broke down. I was like, can we please stop? You know, I'm not like you, bro. I'm out of shape, right? Having a partner is so helpful. But I want to encourage you to also get a guide. I would doubt, other than maybe a few exceptions, any of you go into a new town without some sort of guide. Now, for me, pardon my, me showing my age or my youth, my guide is Google Maps, you know? Um, 
I had a fellow yesterday ask me, I, I was uh, visiting with a guy in town, and um, he's like, how'd you find our business? And I said, well, I used Google Maps. He said, well, what would happen if your phone died? Like, that was a real gotcha question. I said, I would charge it and then use it again, right? I mean, that's my guide. We're going to go to Tucson, drive through uh, some part of the night tonight, maybe stop, maybe go through. I don't know, pray for us. Um, I'm going to be using my phone. I've driven the route several times, but guess what? I'm going to use my phone again. And I have a charger in my car, so I'll make it through, right? And, you know, there are those things called maps that you can get if you need one, but I, I tend to use the digital map, right? It, you wouldn't go into new territory without a map. Yeah, that would be silly, right? I mean, you could, maybe you like the sense of adventure and figuring out on your own. And it's not bad for you to read your Bible with just you, your Bible, and a pen. I love doing that. I like doing that first, and then I go back and read through the book with a guide. What do I mean by a guide? I mean either a person or a book or something that can help you understand the landscape you're in. There's many ways this can take place. I would happily help you select and purchase one for your particular desire of reading the Bible. I want to recommend two that I've recommended to you before. Personally, in my personal Bible reading, I use the Knowing the Bible Study Guides by Crossway. They're like seven bucks, okay? I don't think there's anyone in here who cannot afford that. Seven dollars, right? They're meant to cover 12 weeks. You could go quicker or slower than that. And they have one for every book of the Bible. And as a pastor who has a degree in studying the Bible, I've found these things to be helpful. So I think you might too. They're not, they're not too deep or too shallow. I think they're just the right amount of engaging with the scripture. Uh, in our Wednesday night Bible study, which if you're an adult and you don't attend, I'd encourage you to attend, uh, we use the Nav Press Life Change series, which is pictured on the screen. Those are great. They're a little more... Uh, thorough, a little more chapters that they cover the book in. So those are more around $15. But here's the point of a guide. A guide helps you make sure you're not lost. And I know the most intimidating thing when I say read the whole story of scripture, I mean, some of the books I named, to be frank, if I were to read the book of Amos, I would, Amos, I would be worried I would get lost, Okay. I'm sure all of us probably feel that way. I don't want you to get lost because, you know, getting lost is a really frustrating experience, isn't it? So I want to encourage you to, if you're going to navigate this uncharted territory, and boy, is it fun, grab a guide. Grab a guide. There's many other ways. You could get whole Bible commentaries or things like that. Um, but these are, these are great ways. And I think this series has helped if you've listened well, and if you revisit it in the future, it'll be a good guide for you. Here's the second piece of advice I'd give you as you read and enjoy the story of the Bible. As you read the Bible story, don't forget that it's a story. It's not just a story, but it is a story. What, what do we know about stories? Stories move. Characters change. The plot advances. And every story is meant to be understood within its context. The opening line of the famous, I think it's a trilogy, The Hobbit, starts with Bilbo Baggins, who's the main character, saying that he hates adventure. Well, that, that line 
you would be tempted to misunderstand what J.R. Tolkien was saying because the rest of the three very large books detail this massive adventure that Bilbo Baggins goes on. Why? Because the story is showing how this man as a character changes by the end of it. And we, we sometimes think our Bible works differently. It is a supernatural book. It does require the Holy Spirit to really get the most out of it, but it is a story. And so as we read of Abraham, Abraham in Genesis 12 is very different than Abraham later on in Genesis 25 or whatever. It's a very different person. And so I I want you to uh, remember that the story, if you read it in sequence, first of all, that's a good thing for you to do because it's sometimes easier to just follow the story. But as you come across things that don't make sense, like I was asked uh, a couple weeks ago from somebody, Hey, why do Christians not eat pork? Because the Bible's a story. You read the first part of your Bible, it says don't eat pork. But that story involves some changes in the book of Acts and with Jesus, right? Here's the second one, or the next one. Don't panic when you run into things in the Bible you don't understand. Listen. We will all read stuff we don't understand in our Bible, okay? I talked about the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24. I'm working on that thing because I know someday I'm gonna preach that. (laughs) I gotta figure that out. And so don't be discouraged if that happens to you. Listen, Christianity and God would be so much more boring if we could understand it all, right? I mean, that's the fun part, right? The fun part of being married for several years, and I'm only about 10 years into it, some of you are much longer into it, is that, that you get to learn this person and understand them on a deeper level. And boy, that's what makes our relationship with God fun. If you're not developing in your knowledge of God, you're missing out. What a joy that is. Whatever question you may have, I promise there are gonna be good answers to it. If you find the right person, you can always talk to your pastor or you have the right book and the right guide to consult. You're gonna find an answer if you work at it. And let me just tell you that the places you don't understand sometimes have the best treasures. And so it's worth it to work through those difficult places. What does Paul say about Timothy? He says, you have no reason to be ashamed if you're a workman. If you work at the scriptures, you won't be ashamed in the day of judgment. Here's my next point. Don't rush. Some of you are like tuning me out because I say I want to challenge you to read the whole story of scripture. And you're like, Pastor, I've tried reading the Bible through in a year and I can't make it. Hey, listen, I've tried it and failed too before. I'm not telling you to read your Bible in a year. I don't see that command in Scripture. I do think that the Scripture indicates that we need to read the whole Bible, especially if we have it. I mean, first century Christians, they may not have had every book accessible to them, right? It's not like after Jesus ascended into heaven, this whole thing was just like, here you go, you have a 66-book Bible. No, they didn't have it all. I think there's a responsibility. If you have access to all of it, you should be in all of it. So I'm not telling you to read it all in a year. Did you know if you read one chapter a day, if I did my math right, you would get through the whole Bible in about three, three and a half years. One chapter. 
There's some long chapters in the Bible, but none of them are too long for you to read one a day. But here's what I just want to challenge you, not even to just try and read it all. Make that your goal. I'll read Genesis. Now, I'm not saying you have to go straight through. You can go Genesis, Matthew, Exodus, Mark, Genesis, James, Exodus, 1 Thessalonians, whatever. Work your way through all of it and don't rush. And let me give you some more permission. If there are places in the Bible that you don't understand and you're not, you're, you're struggling and you've tried and all that, read a little faster. And when you get to places that you enjoy, read a little slower. You don't have to rush. It's not a competition. Just enjoy the story of the Bible. I've found that the best vacations are the ones that my family and I can take time to do uh, the things that we see and we notice, right? The two-nighters, I'm just to be honest, maybe it's my personality, it's not very restful. We could disconnect and we have time to say, you know what, we wanna do that. We don't have to rush. We wanna see that landmark, we wanna go do that thing. That's the best. We have leisure to pick and choose where we dive in deep. I, I would encourage you to approach your Bible study the same way. Listen, God knew what you needed when he inspired 66 different times a book of the Bible to be written. I'm all about daily bread. I still have them back there. I haven't thrown them in the dumpster. They're still there. But Christians, God did not write daily bread. God wrote the book of Leviticus. God wrote the book of Amos and Ezekiel. And he gave you the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God manifest in a person I think because he wanted you to read those too. So don't stop taking those. But let God speak to you from his own mouth. But you don't have to rush. There's not a competition. And here's the last one. Don't forget the goal of the whole story. We're not in this for knowledge. We're in this to worship our great God. And you're going to come across some weird stuff. Genesis 38, go read it later. It's some weird stuff. You're going to see some very deeply flawed people like David in 2 Samuel 7. You're going to see some stuff that, that you're like, why isn't God just coming down from heaven saying this is a terrible thing? And you're going to read how God is so big that he takes the most messed up stuff, the most flawed people, the most wicked circumstances, and he somehow flips it on their head for his glory and for the plan of salvation to be accomplished. You're going to see how he takes the wicked evil intentions of Joseph's brothers in Genesis 36 and 37 and somehow flips that on its head in Genesis 50 for, for uh, God's chosen person to feed the entire world in Genesis 50. You're going to see God in so many different shades. Don't forget the stories about God. Don't forget the stories pointing to Jesus. Don't forget that it's for you to love your maker and your creator more. Read, your, read the Bible, enjoy the story, and see how God's word, it's living, it's powerful, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Don't lose sight of the goal. Scripture is beautiful, it's enjoyable, it's divine, it's diverse, it's confusing, and it's clear, it's long, and sometimes it feels short, but it's one big story. Enjoy it. Enjoy the story. Pick a partner.
get a guide and start reading your Bible tomorrow. Read it. You won't regret it. This series will be forgettable. But your journey through this book will change your life forever. When you start reading the corners of this book you've never thumbed through, it'll change your life forever. You'll never forget it. And so read and enjoy the story. Let's pray this morning.